Bible Girl Podcast. I'm Jessica Robinson, and I've gathered my Bible, my journal, some study tools, and highlighters in every color for study time. From the practical to the inspirational, I pray that these podcasts give you the tools and motivation to be a Bible Girl, too. Welcome to podcast episode 101. Today, I'm giving you a quiet time kick in the pants. Um, I kind of... um, tried to be a little funny with our title today. Uh, We're going to talk today about why we fail when it comes to being consistent in our quiet time. And I'm going to give you a few reasons why I think that's true and a little bit of hopefully help and encouragement and motivation for those of you that are are discouraged or struggling um, and those of you that want to be more consistent. I I hope that today will help you. This is um, a message that um, I... I gave um, back in um, April of 2018 at a women's conference. I did not record it. I'm going to be teaching it fresh for you here. Um, But it is a message that I have really refined and worked my way through quite a bit. Um, And I'm excited to give it to you today. This is why we fail. Why when it comes to being consistent, we fail when we um, spend, uh, try to spend time with God in a consistent basis. We know that consistency is important. Um, About a decade ago, business authors Jim Collins and Morton T. Hansen, along with a team of about 20 researchers, set out to answer this question. Why do some companies thrive in uncertainty in even chaos, but others don't? The group analyzed seven companies that perform not just better than their industry, but 10 times better. They called these guys 10Xers. They discovered a very interesting key finding. The qualities that business gurus frequently tout as being the main difference makers, things like innovation, creativity, the ability to quickly pivot in a fast-changing world, these were indeed somewhat important, but it was actually discipline, fanatic discipline that was one of the true master keys of the company's success. Instead of constantly changing course or making really aggressive moves and big risks, these 10 Xers came up with a plan and then carefully, methodically, and consistently stuck with the plan. Now, when it comes to our quiet time, there are some things that we can learn um, about why this is important, this idea of being consistent. And I want you to stick with me through the rest of this uh, podcast and don't turn it off because I know the minute you hear discipline, many people get discouraged. I'm not a disciplined person or I can't, I, I struggle to be disciplined. But I think there's some specific reasons why we fail when it comes to discipline. And I don't think discipline is the problem. I think we make some other errors. And I, I want to, I hope what I say will encourage you to not be so negative on your ability to be disciplined and more realizing that you just didn't know all the things that went into being disciplined and some of the ways that you can make it easier on yourself. And I have four reasons why we struggle with discipline when it comes to our quiet time. And we're going to work through these one at a time. And the first one is that we underestimate the impact of small. Now, something I say a lot, and if you uh, happen to see the the giveaways that we did for the 100th episode of our podcast, um, I actually had this, this statement printed right on the little uh, pen bags that I gave away because it is something that I believe strongly and I have said for a long time. The small thing you do every day has a greater impact than the big thing you do every once in a while. 
Here's the problem though, when it comes to consistency, we do too much. We expect too much of ourselves. We discipline ourselves and we go into this uh, with this idea that uh, go big or go home. And when it comes to discipline, that's actually a terrible idea. Um, I think of people, and I have to laugh every year, you know, the the January 1sters who are ready for, you know, the excesses of December have worn them down. They're exhausted. They're ready for some change. They're going to eat healthy. They're going to go to the gym. They're going to get up on time. They're going to do their quiet time. They're going to spend time with their loved ones. They're going to be kinder to their kids. They're going to do more nice things for their husband. They're, They're basically completely becoming a different person January 1st. That doesn't happen. Okay, so if you've been trying that, it the fault does not lie with you other than the fact that you're attempting it. That's impossible. Um, we aren't given that ability in life to completely reinvent ourselves like that instantaneously. Um, what we're doing is too much. We're trying to do too much and we think that if we don't go big, we're going to fail. But the truth is, is that going big is why we fail. We are underestimating the impact of small. The small little thing you do over time gives you a bigger return on your investment than doing a big thing for a few days, burning out, giving up, and starting over again three weeks later. I can't stress this enough. I recently uh, was reminded of a book I had read many years ago by Stephen Arterburn uh, called Lose It for Life. And he talked about uh, one of the things that helped him lose weight years ago was that he started going to a restaurant to eat and he went to the same restaurant every day to eat. And it was a small little thing, but it made a big impact. He lost a great deal of weight. And the reason was because he figured out that he was eating because he was lonely. So he went to this restaurant to eat and he began to get to know the waiters and waitresses and the chefs and the regular people that were there all the time. And he began to develop this community and he would, he would go there and he would eat a good meal and he would have that, um, camaraderie and that uh, community spirit and he wouldn't feel so alone and then he didn't feel the need to go home and eat that's a small change that's just one little thing but he did it consistently enough that it made a great impact most of the things that that will change your life are not big things you don't need to change huge things you don't need to wake up tomorrow a new person to start slowly over time becoming a new person and let me say this this go big or go home kind of flies in the face of everything the gospel is about. God is in it for the long game. I mean, he certainly is uh, allowing the, uh, the, the earth a lot of time between when the, the fall of man came in the garden of Eden. And when Jesus is coming back, he's, he's not rushing. There's no need to rush. We can go slow. In fact, much of growth, much spiritual growth involves a very small, slow incremental process. What we need to do is we need to learn to tap into small and not think, that that just because it's small, it's it's useless because small is very very important. To go back to this uh, this uh, book here uh, with um, Jim Collins and Martin T. Hansen, where they analyze these companies, they dubbed this slow and steady approach taken by a lot of these ten X or companies as the twenty mile march. They took this from imagining a man determined to walk across the United States and how he could accomplish his goal faster by committing to walking 20 miles every single day, rain or shine, rather than walking for 40 to 50 miles in good weather and then very few miles or not at all during inclement conditions. 
Now, I want to read to you just kind of a little story they came across during their research that really uh, strikes at the heart of what I'm talking about here um, in, in this idea of not underestimating the impact of small. The pair later came upon a story of the race between Robert Falcon Scott and Roald An- Amundsen to be the first to reach the South Pole. And they were amazed to discover how the differences in the way the two expeditions were executed also aligned with their 20-mile march idea. Amundsen beat Scott to the pole and had a pretty smooth and uneventful journey both there and back. Scott reached the pole only to face the crushing realization that the Norwegians had been there first and he and his four men perished on the grueling 700-mile return trip. Collins and Hansen found that among the many other lessons comparing the two expeditions can teach us is that much of Amundsen's success can be traced to creating his own plan and then carrying it out with methodical, disciplined consistency. In other words, sticking with his 20-mile march. As I read Great by Choice, I was struck by how applicable the 20-mile march principle was, not simply to corporations or polar expeditions, but to individual lives as well. Many of the men I see struggling to improve themselves usually tackle their goals through an inevitably fruitless series of fits and starts. They get all excited about a new goal or program for themselves and throw themselves into it with gusto, only to soon get burned out, sidetracked by the next cool new thing, or demoralized by a setback. This pattern leaves an unending trail of unfinished projects in their wake. I completely sympathize with these gents because I've done that too. But as I evaluate the times I've been successful in life, I notice a pattern. It usually wasn't through big Herculean efforts or snazzy new productivity plans that I achieved my goals, but rather through steady, consistent efforts. I reached my goals by throwing on my nap stack every single day and setting off on a 20 mile march. This, if this doesn't describe uh, many, many people's experiences with quiet time, I don't know what does. Getting all excited about a new goal and uh, throw themselves in it with gusto only to get burned out, sidetracked, or demoralized. This pattern does leave an unending trail of unfinished projects in their wake. And certainly um, this gives us this idea that we just can't, that maybe it's not for us. I've had so many people say, oh, I watch people that read their Bible and talk about how much they love it. And I just can't seem to get into a routine. I just don't think I'm the kind of person that can do that. Well, I don't think that's the issue. I think we all can learn to spend time in God's word and enjoy it and receive the the great number of benefits that are there for us. But we have to get away from this idea that it has to be big, that it has to be something substantial. Uh, We uh, really don't realize how important it is to be... um, to, to be willing to just do something small. This is one of the reasons why I started the scripture writing. Because to me, sitting down and writing uh, one or two or three verses of scripture in the morning is really simple. It doesn't take long. It is a, an entryway into maybe learning more skills in the Bible, but it is certainly something that can be doable. It's something that you can be disciplined about and do every day. Um, and yet... It has the capacity to make a great difference in your life if you're willing to apply yourself and to do it well and to be consistent. It is a small thing that can grow into something that has a great impact. 
So this is, the, I think, the, the first reason and really the biggest reason why we struggle and why we fail when it comes to being consistent with our spiritual practices and spending time with God is because we're just, we're just attempting something that's beyond us. It's just too big. So that isn't the only one, though. While I think that's one of the major ones, the, the next thing is that we underestimate the cost of perfection. The cost of perfection, the price that being a perfectionist um, demands of us is, is a lot more than we realize. Perfectionism is its own form of legalism, as if we can achieve our worth or our value on our own. If we can just do it perfectly, it's worthwhile. If it's not perfect, then we have to start over again. The truth is, is that we can't assign our own worth and uh, we... we we only need to look at, at whatever the latest craze is out there that everyone's collecting to understand this concept. Um, I remember many years ago when Beanie Babies were a big thing and um, my aunt had a store um, in the mall and she would sell these Beanie Babies and people would come in and talk about how they had driven, you know, 300 miles to track down this limited edition Beanie Baby and how it was going to be worth all this money one day. But the truth is, is they're only worth what someone's willing to pay. And while if she would have sold it that week, she would have got a lot of money. She's not getting a lot of money from some of those things now. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, is that things come and go and that worth and value isn't assigned by who owns the thing, but who is willing to pay the price. And that should tell us something because God was willing to pay the ultimate price for us. He gave up his own son for you. He has already assigned you a worth and a value that you could never assign to yourself. And so all of your attempts to do things perfectly is just trying to build onto something that God has already done perfectly. God paid a high price for us. And because of that, our worth is far beyond anything we could achieve on our own. This also leads us to this idea of idolatry, idolatry, that we're clinging to this false God to feel better about ourselves, that we can, if we do it perfectly, then we've reached this attainable goal or ideal. And yet this, this goal is, is ultimately unsatisfying. This, this uh, uh, thing that we're working for, this idol that we're trying to uh, achieve and, and to worship instead of worshiping God is, is going to let us down. We can't always be perfect. Maybe, maybe you can do this one thing perfectly and well, but what about all these things over here? Perfectionism is, is a form of idolatry. And if you are the kind of person who stop or start doing something and then stop it and then start again because you didn't do it perfectly, then you need to really pay attention here because there is a high cost for this. There is the cost of relationships. It stops relationship. We hide our true selves. We can't share who we really are. We're putting on a false front to the world. This, this false front that shows how confident and how perfect we are and how put together we are. And yet inside, we're a mess. And we know we're a mess behind the scenes. So no one is seeing the real us. The relationships that we have with people, there's always a wall there. If you're striving for, for perfection in everything you do and you're trying to be, or maybe just in this one area of your life, you need it to be perfect. If, if that has become an idol and that is something that you're clinging to to prove your worth and value, then you are, are destroying your relationships because your real self is not showing up.
but it also stops growth. Here's a little something we don't like to hear, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway, because I like to lay down some truth every once in a while that shakes us up. You must fail to learn. If you're going to learn, you need to learn how to do it wrong before you can do it right. That's just a fact of life. There's lots of things where people are just naturally gifted and they try it and they do it and they're great at it and they just get better. But that might be that one thing. In every other area of life, they're going to have to fail a few times before they get it right. I've struggled with this my whole life. I struggle with this idea of thinking that when I pick something up, I should just know it. So when I when I learn a new craft or I learn a new skill or I try a new recipe, I think it should just work perfectly. And it doesn't because things don't work that way. I have to learn. My skills have to improve. I have to do it wrong before I can do it better. I have to do it badly before I can do it better. I have to do it wrong before I do it right. I have to learn. We learn by failure. Our mistakes teach us the right way to do things. And if you are not willing to fail, you can't succeed. And I'm going to say that again because this is really important. You cannot succeed if you're not willing to fail. If failure is not an option, then neither is success. You will not truly get to where you need to be without a few failures along the way. Perfectionism stops our growth because we cannot learn if we cannot fail. It also, another cost of perfectionism is that it stops our momentum. And this is is really key. And I think I'm learning this more as I age. Um, You know, when you have unlimited energy and unlimited, you know, resources more so when you're younger, sometimes it just seems like, you know, you just you just stop and you just get started again. But as I age, I realize that that momentum is a gift (laughs) and I need that momentum to be able to build on the thing before it, because starting from scratch all the time is exhausting. Um, You never really get anywhere. And in fact, if when it comes to your quiet time, time, you're just like on level one all the time. If you're stopping and starting and stopping and starting and stopping and starting, you are never getting to the point where you're, you're progressing past that, that beginning phase. So you have no momentum. You have nothing to kind of carry you through. You know, if you, if you have, um, let's say that you're going to read a devotional in the morning and do some scripture writing in the morning. So let's say you do that and you do it two days and you skip a day and then you do it a day and you skip two days and you give up. And then you wait a month and you start over again and you you do the same thing. You do three days maybe this time and then a day off and then another day off and then two or three days and then five days off and you give up. Whereas if you do 65 days in a row and you skip a day, you just jump back in the next day. There's momentum there. That one day doesn't feel like as much of a failure because you've been going strong for 65 days. <laughs> there's momentum there. There's movement. There's, some, there's something that's propelling you forward. And you lose that when you're constantly stopping as soon as you get started and then starting back over again because you messed up and, and you, you have to do it perfectly. And, and for those of you that struggle with this, I don't want to f- you to feel like I'm sitting in judgment of you because I've been you. I cannot tell you how many journals I have piled up places with six days and then the rest of the journal is empty. And I had to start over on a new one because it was embarrassing to me to put down a date that was four days or five days since the last time I journaled. It wasn't perfect. So I started a new journal. That, that robbed me of any ability to continue and learn this skill. I, I couldn't fail and I certainly uh, could not gain any momentum. And so I, I just 
stopped. And I now I have a box full of journals with six days in the front and hundreds of empty pages. I'm not sitting in judgment of you. I am you. And I know what that life is like. And I know that there is a high cost for living under this weight of being perfect. Sometimes it's beyond that. We are trying to not only uh, maybe present a, a picture of uh, perfection to ourselves, but sometimes we're trying to prove something to someone else or to impress someone else. And let me just say, there's no need to do that. Your relationship with God is as uniquely personal as you are. It doesn't need to line up to anyone else's. It doesn't need to look like anyone else's. It doesn't need to have the same components as anyone else, the same length of time, the same time of day, the the same types of prayer, the same way, uh, the same location. Nothing needs to be the same. It is as unique as you. You do not need to prove anything to anyone, including yourself. And certainly you do not need to prove anything to God. He loves you as you are, and he's longing for a relationship with you. He wants you to meet with him because you want to be there, not because you're trying to prove your worth or your value, and not because you're trying to do things perfectly. The next thing that uh, contributes to our failure when it comes to being consistent with our time with God and our quiet time is we underestimate the need for a plan. We like to think oftentimes that uh, that we can just wing it. And for those that don't wing it and do have a plan, rarely have I ever met anyone who has a plan B. Now, I can speak to this one because I'm like the uh, guru of planning. I plan things that don't even need to be planned. You'd be amazed at some of the stuff I've written down on my planner. Um, it's mostly ridiculous. And I usually tell myself, this is unnecessary, but I just... I'm a planner and that's how I like to roll. And I always have a plan B. Um, in in all my years of serving here at Littlestown Chapel, something will come up and people will be like, oh no, what are we going to do? And uh, now they kind of say, well, Jessica probably has a plan B because I always do. I, I always whip out the next plan. You know, this one didn't work. Well, that's okay because I, in case that happened, I was ready over here. Um it, it, coincidentally, that is one of the reasons that cancer has been so terrifying for me in many cases is because not only do I not have a plan B, I don't have a plan A and I can't control anything. And uh, as a planner and always having a plan B, this has been quite distressing. But we do need a plan and we need a plan B when it comes to uh, spending time with God and being consistent because, and and this is probably going to shock you, but life is unpredictable. <laughs> We might sit down and make a plan, but we never know what's going to happen. In any given day, you know, your plan goes off the rails sometimes before you eat breakfast in the morning. Um, life just kind of happens. It takes over and things happen. And so you can't always adequately plan. Yes, your plan might be to get up in the morning and and, and study your Bible and do your, your um, Bible study for your church group that you're going to have your class in at the end of the week. And that might be your plan every day. But some days that doesn't happen. Maybe you oversleep or maybe one of your kids is homesick or maybe your husband needs you to, to run him uh, to, to drop the car off at the car dealership and it's just a weird morning you weren't anticipating it and so it didn't happen this this often derails us because we couldn't do the plan so what do we do now and that's why I always encourage people to kind of have um 
when you when you make up a plan for for what you want to do, and I think it's important to do that. I I am an over planner, I will admit. So I don't expect anyone to plan to the level that I do. Um, it would drive you crazy because it drives me crazy and everyone around me crazy. But I do feel that this kinds of stuff, the things that are important in our life, we know that if we don't plan for them, they don't happen. Um, the things that are important in life are often the quiet things that don't rush to the surface and don't scream at us. And if we don't make a plan to do them, they're not going to happen. So when it comes to your quiet time and your time spent with God, you need a plan. You need to know what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. And you're going to need that. But you also need like a backup plan. If this doesn't go the way I think it should, you know, the way I'm hoping it will, if it if it works out differently, then this is what I'll do. And a lot of people have told me that that's a, a concept they hadn't really thought of. But as they begin to incorporate it in their life, they realize that the consistency is much easier when they have this, this one thing that they do. So I'm going to give you... Um, a little example of what that looks like in my life so you can understand this when I say plan I say plan levels okay so in in the course of a day for me and um I, I almost hesitate to say this because I do what might be kind of overkill for a lot of people I do a lot and and it's because I'm giving out a lot you know in my job as a church I'm discipling people I'm encouraging people I'm motivating people I'm constantly giving out uh, the word of God to others and so I need to make sure that I have plenty of it that's fueling me and so I build in a little more in my day than than maybe other people would need um, so I, I don't I don't I want to be very clear that when I say this to you I'm not telling you this is how you do it or even that this is the ideal. I'm just saying that this is kind of what has has helped me to be able to do the things that God has called me to do. Um, and, and God has called you to do something different than me. So you have to figure out what those things are for you. Um, don't look at this at all as um, a suggestion or um, something that I think you should do as well. This is just this is just how I spend time with God because of what he has has given me to do, the purpose that I have in my life and the the responsibilities and the um, opportunities that he's given to me. So I generally will um, read a devotional in the morning and do some scripture writing uh, shortly after I get up in the morning. And um, I, I just have a, like a little devotional that I read with a scripture in it. And then I, I write out some scripture and I kind of do that um, before I get started on my day. And then um, I have two times that I do something called the daily office, which um, comes from, uh, it's a little devotional book that comes from Pete Scazzaro's Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. Um, and it's just a little like, um, it has a few minutes of silence before God, a, a scripture to read, a little devotional and a prayer that you pray. And I do that around lunchtime. And I do that before I head home from work or shortly before um, I start getting dinner ready in the evening. And those are just two little spots in my day that I stop, pull aside and connect with God. At some point during the day, and every day it's different, I try to do some kind of Bible study. Currently, I'm doing the She Reads Truth, um, Women and Men in the Word. And um, so I will try. Sometimes it's in the morning if I'm going into work later. Sometimes it's in the evening. Sometimes it's in the afternoon. Sometimes I take it with me and do it at work. It just, it just every day is different because I don't have a normal set um, schedule per se with my job. I just, I'm kind of it's always in flux. So um, I don't really schedule that. I just try to fit it in sometime during the day. And then in the evening, I do the prayer of examine at night and I do a little bit of uh, 
um, journal doodling um, of some prayers and praises. And I do that before I go to bed. Sometimes I read the Psalms before bed. Um, and that doesn't count, you know, the Bible study that I do for the podcast or that I'm doing for my job. I'm currently studying the book of Esther for a, a sermon series we're doing here shortly. So I, I just, uh, those are separate. Those aren't, I look at those more as, um, work related things that are things that I'm passing on and giving to others. The things that I mentioned to you about my day are the things that are building me, that are giving um, me the nourishment and connection with God that I need. So that's kind of the ideal day. But the truth is, is that um, some days that doesn't happen. I still have some physical limitations from my cancer. I, I still am waiting for another surgery. Two mornings a week, I have some medical things I have to take care of. So on those mornings, a lot of times I won't get it do my scripture reading or read my devotional because um, it just it just doesn't happen that day. Um, those other things um, are really just overwhelming and kind of take my time in the mornings. Other times, um, it just might be a day where I'm moving around a lot. And by the time I'm home, I'm, I'm tired. I still am not back up to my pre-cancer strength, um, although I'm getting there. Um, so some nights just mentally I can't focus. So I might not get in my She Reads Truth study that day just because by the time I get home and I have a chance to do it, my brain is just not cooperating. Um, I still have a little bit of chemo brain from time to time that uh, sneaks up on me and just makes it really hard for me to focus on the words and to think it through. Um, there's limitations. I have them. You have them too. We all have them. And so um, those things don't always happen. Sometimes, um, you know, my pastor will say, hey, let's all go out to lunch. And so I don't really have my normal lunch time to do my daily office. That might not happen. All of these things are just, they're, they're things that I choose to do and, and I try to do them, but certain days, some of them don't happen. But there's always one thing I always I always try to do one thing and that is my evening um, examine and prayer time. I I try to make that a priority and if nothing else happens I still have that. Um, I still have that time and that is good for me because it doesn't require me to, to really read or study. It is me just being quiet before God and, and talking with him about my day and it's something that I can do even when I'm tired um, or you know when my brain can't focus on on words um, and on a page. Um, it is something that works with my limitations and it is something that uh, definitely helps me sleep, gives me um, peace as I, I go to sleep. It's something that I try to do at nights and some nights it's it's more longer than others. Some nights it's just kind of short because that's just where I'm at right now. Other times it's longer, but that is, if nothing else, plan B is just to make sure that I spend those moments with God before I go to sleep at night. Um, that's what I'm talking about, about levels. Um, it doesn't, it, it, mine is kind of spread out throughout my day. And um, I think that's, I think that's important, even if you're just stopping every so often just to stop and, and, and thank God for something or stop for a few minutes and read a verse of scripture or something like that, because um, it has been especially um, in the last few years of my life since 2014, I really have been going through a lot of, of change in my life and um, just, you know, not just external change, although some of that has been very much so, but a lot going on inside of me. And, and I have realized that I need God more than I would have at first assumed. You know, I'm kind of a confident person and I, I'm one of those people that 
executes her plan. So I get things done. And um, the truth of the matter is, is even in the things I'm confident about, I, I need God in them. I need to be connected to him. And so for me, spacing things out throughout the day and having these moments to stop and connect with God are just really important to me. But they don't all happen every day. That's why there's levels there. That's why there's an opportunity to say, well, if these things don't happen, at least this gets done. At least this one thing is is something that I can do. The benefit of this is so important to me that this this thing can happen if nothing else does. Um, thing is, is, is God knows you. He knows your day. When you go to God and at the end of the day, like I do, I go to God and I talk about my day. And when I say, you know, I didn't realize that, you know, the doctor was going to call and I was going to have this thing to deal with today. I imagine in my head, God saying, oh, I knew, <laughs> you know, like he knows, he, he knows that, that, that came into my day. He's not expecting me to, um, to, to ignore um, the limits that have been placed on me in my life right now and and to power through. That's, that's not how we were created. We were created to find rest in God. This time of coming to God is supposed to be a time where our souls, our spirits become healthy and at rest. And that's why it's important to remember that we don't need to be perfect and we don't need to do some big, massive um showy thing that that's bigger than really we can do we can we can live under our limits and we can we can make a a plan for the days in which everything goes well and we can still be consistent on the days when it doesn't um i think this is important for us we we get too hung up on being perfect and being big and we forget that being small and being consistent is far more important than those other two things and and we put such unrealistic pressure on us and i'm giving you permission right now to take the pressure off to 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 establish a, a a small plan that you can achieve every day. And as God works in your heart, I, I, I've seen it happen over and over and over again. People who are willing to take me at my word and start small will find that as they become consistent at small, their life enlarges. And they can add this other thing in, or they could try this thing over here. It comes out of a heart that's at rest with God and is respecting their limits. And then God brings these other things into their life over time. And so you might start with just scripture writing in the morning, and you might find two years from now that you're spending time in the afternoon praying for your church or your friends or your family. You might find that there's all these opportunities for you, um, all of these ways in which you were able to serve God and to spend time with him that that never would have been possible if you hadn't been willing to just start small and be consistent, not perfect, but consistent with something over time. A couple of suggestions before we move on to the last reason that we fail. I would suggest to you a couple of things that would help you start small that have some levels built into them already. And um, one of them is to use uh, one of the apps that's available, whether you're using Uversion or uh, the First Five app from Proverbs 31 Ministries or the She Reads Truth app um, from She Reads Truth. You, what's nice about those is there's scripture, there's a devotional, and then there's some kind of 
um, she reads truth um, both through she reads truth and first five have a community aspect built into them you version has an optional community you can actually read plans with other people um, if you have like a group of friends or something you can read plans together that the community aspect of that is optional it's like an extra thing but with she reads truth and first five you have that community built right into it which is important and we'll talk about in just a moment um, so there's already levels. If you decide to do the first five, well, maybe all you have time to do is just to read that the, the, the chapter for that day. So um, they tend to do like a chapter a day. So if you're reading through the book of Mark, you're going to read Mark one and then you're going to read Mark two. Sometimes they do combine two chapters if they're really short, but generally it's a chapter a day. You might only have time to read the chapter. You might have time to read the chapter and then read the devotional. You might have time to just read the devotional and the verse for the day. You might have time to participate in the community, to to get in and, and read what some other people are learning and, and to respond with what you're seeing in scripture. So there's levels there and you can kind of choose those levels um, and they're really helpful. Also, I find if you are doing um, like a longer or more traditional Bible study during the day, maybe you're working through a Beth Moore book or maybe you're um, doing a Bible study that your church is doing or something. Um, by using the first five or She Reads Truth or You version, and just kind of having them as like, if if I if I don't get to this today, at least I'll read this before bed. It kind of gives you uh, a little something to be consistent and a chance to to have that time to to stop and to check in with God and to give Him an opportunity to to speak to you and you an opportunity to hear what He has to say. Another thing that I think is interesting that's kind of built on this idea of levels is the Hello Mornings. If you've visited their website or read the book Hello Morning um, Mornings, that's really an interesting. She starts out with um, just a real simple thing where you um, uh, read a verse in the morning, you uh, do some kind of movement in the morning, and um, something else. It might be. Uh, oh, you uh, glance over your schedule in the morning. It's like three components that you do right away in the morning. And the idea is to get in those habits. And then as you're in the habit of doing those things, you begin to add to them. So you start out with, you know, constantly just repeating this verse in the morning when you wake up and then you add in, you know, reading a devotional or you add in, um, you just kind of build on that. What you're trying to do is establish the habit of it, even though it's just a short amount of time. And then as you, um, get used to setting that time aside, then you add and you build upon it. And that's an interesting concept. It's very um, probably a little more psychological than than maybe you realize, but just that idea of training your your mind and even your physical body to, uh, to be in those habits of doing those things. And then once the habit is established, then um, becoming consistent is much easier and then you can expand upon it. So I recommend that if that's something that you think would help you. The last reason we fail is that we underestimate the value of community. We think we can go it alone, and I'm here to tell you that you can't. The Christian life has to be lived in community. In fact, spiritual disciplines uh, require community to have their full effect. This is something that I think people struggle with sometimes because maybe the Christian community that has wounded them. Maybe they've been let down or disillusioned or hurt greatly by the church. And I understand that. I've seen it happen. I've been in churches long enough to know that we're not perfect, that we make mistakes. And, and there are sinners among us who choose to make mistakes, who choose to sin. And I'm not here to, at all to negate 
the painfulness of that or to tell you that you're wrong for being wary if that's happened to you. I I want to apologize on behalf of the corporate church as a whole and say that I'm sorry if that's the case, if, if the church has wounded you. I want you to know that Jesus still loves you and there's still a place for you here in his body. And we're not perfect. We're not going to be. But there are safe congregations. There are leadership in churches who are safe people who will care for you and help you. And I encourage you to find that community. And it might not be in a traditional church on Sunday morning. It might be through a Bible study group, um, a neighborhood, something in your neighborhood or something that a bunch of churches have come together Um it might be through a small group at your church. Maybe you attend a big church and you don't really know that many people. Get into a small group. Join a ladies' Bible study. Join a men's Bible study. Do something. Um, join a ladies' Bible study if you're a lady. Join a men's Bible study if you're a man. I should probably clarify that just in case there's any confusion there. The fruit of the Spirit are worked out in community. All of the fruits of the Spirit have a relational effect to them. Loving others, being patient with them, showing kindness, ex exercising self-control. They all require community to develop. We need a tribe. We need a team or we need a partner. Consider establishing these partnerships or tribes with someone younger in their faith and someone maybe more established and older in their faith than you. You can build into those younger or those newer in their faith and you can learn from those older in their faith or those who have experienced a lot in life. You'll develop a rich community that will help you abide in Christ. And this is important. I think that sometimes we forget that we were created to be in community with each other. When God looked at Adam and said, oh, this is not good. He should not be by himself. God was echoing something that we see throughout the pages of scripture. We need each other. We need each other. We need each other to motivate and challenge and encourage each other. We need each other this might take you by surprise. We need each other to annoy each other. That's how you develop the fruits of the spirit. How are you going to develop being able to be patient with people or showing people kindness or exercising self-control if there isn't someone you don't want to be kind to or someone that tries your patience or someone that maybe you just want to slap upside the head? Um, these spiritual gifts, these things that we are learning and, and studying through God's word, those things need people to play out. I cannot tell you how many times in my life I was going off the rails spiritually as far as my my spiritual practices and spending time with God and his word. And, and a friend would say to me, hey, what's God teaching you right now? Being able to say, you know, I've been struggling. I haven't really been consistent lately and I don't know why. Having someone say, oh, well, uh, let's pray about that. Or you want to talk about it? Or just texting me the next day and saying, hey, I read this great verse and I thought of you. It's that motivation and inspiration. We need each other. And we think sometimes that we can just keep this to ourselves. My personal relationship with God is just between God and I. And that's not entirely true. Your relationship with God is personal, but God desires to be in the community of believers and he desires us to be able to see God through the lives of others. And so don't underestimate the value of community. If you're not in a church, find a good one, find a healthy one, make that a priority. I think that you will be surprised at how much of a blessing really investing yourself into a community of God can be. Yes, they will be flawed, but there are places that are healthy. Find one. They're, they're still going to have some issues. They're still going to have people that do, do weird things, and they're still going to have people that rub you the wrong way because that's 
just how it is. That's how life is. Um, but, but find that, find that community. If you're in a good church and uh, you haven't really made a lot of connections, join a study, join a small group, start a study, start a study in your neighborhood or community, get a partner maybe who can help you. Maybe you're not a group person. Sometimes I'm, um, I'm not a group person unless I'm leading the group generally. Um, sometimes I struggle in groups if I'm not in charge, but I'm, I'm better with a partner, with a person or two that I can meet with regularly to share with, with each other what God is doing. Here at our church in our women's group, we call these life support partners. And I hope to do a podcast one day soon with a few, um, with a little roundtable discussion with a few of the people who have uh, served as my life support partners throughout the different phases of, of my service here at the chapel. And um, I think it would be a good discussion and would help you. So I'm hoping to do that a little later this summer. There is a great opportunity for you in the family of God to be inspired, to be encouraged, and to learn to be consistent by pooling our resources and working together by helping each other succeed. We fail because we're not consistent. And we're not consistent because we underestimate the impact of small, the cost of perfection, the need for a plan, and the value of community. I beg you to sit down for a few minutes sometime this week and take a look at that list and prayerfully ask God to show you some of the things you may have underestimated and how you can make some changes going forward. Because my prayer for you is that you would not fail. My prayer for you is that you would start small, that you would find that small thing that helped you connect to God and that you would chase after it day after day after day. That when you would do your 20 mile walk each day, whatever that thing is, with a passion and a faithfulness that does great and mighty things in your life in years to come. I want you to be able to look back and say, that little thing back here, that changed my life. And I think that's possible for you. I think it's possible for all of us. May God bless your day. I look forward to seeing you back in another podcast soon. Thanks for listening. Go to BibleGrowPodcast.com to email me, download show notes, sign up for my newsletter, print a monthly scripture writing list, and listen to past episodes. Join the Bible Girl Facebook group to get the latest podcast news and to interact with me and other listeners. I'm all over social media as Jessie L. Robinson. That's J-E-S-S-I-L Robinson. I'd love for you to friend or follow me. Join me again for another episode of Bible Girl.